I'm Joe. Welcome everybody. Yeah. So let's uh, let's get right into it. Let's uh, have some fun with some stories today. Yeah. Uh, as usual, we do rock paper scissors. So All right. So here we go. Rock, rock paper scissors, scissors shoot. shoot. Oh, oh shit. I win. Freaking! I I spiced it up. I didn't just go with rock this time. <laughs> <laughs> Got me off guard. So this week I am talking about the mighty magical Merlin. I've told you all before, okay. I love alliteration. I got this story from the Facts on File Encyclopedia of World Mythology and Legend by Anthony S. Mer Mercant Mercante and James R. Dow. Um, I want to cite them because it's. I've been reading this encyclopedia for a while and I often use it as a reference point for where to start a journey on different characters or different like just folklore and stuff like that. So, um, sorry, there's my little click. The story of Merlin actually has an intriguing beginning. Long before he was born, there was a king named Constance. King Constance had three sons, Constantine, Aurelius Ambrosius, and Uther Pendragon. Ooh, I like that name. Okay. And the names will kind of change up as it goes along, but, but you have to remember this is kind of all lore. So, mm -hmm. like, Uther Pendragon kind of sticks around a lot. Um, the oh, wait, name. is so it I'm, Arthur? All right, okay. you're getting ahead of me I was going to say, where have I heard Pendragon before? So, when the king passed, he left his th throne to his oldest son, Constantine, who chose a man named Vortigern. Vortigern? Vortigern? I hate trying to announce this stuff over here but Vortigern which kind of reminds me of Voldemort okay all right, all right. and he was this Voldemort. prime minister we'll call him Voldemort okay he's his prime minister now Vortigern decided that he was going to betray Constantine and um let the Keanu Reeves <laughs> no no different one different one but the, uh he betrayed the king and was awarded the throne in return now, he was worried because Constantine had two brothers who were very much alive and very much in line for the throne. Right. So he was very nervous about it, and he um, decided to build a big, huge fortress on Salisbury Plain which with thick and high walls. But the problem was that no matter how much the Masons worked during the day, every morning when they came back, the walls were overturned or destroyed. So he couldn't figure out what he was going to do, and he hired a astrologer. And the astrologer told him that until the ground was washed with blood of a child who could not claim a human father, the, the walls would never stay. What? That's weird. Okay. Okay. So luck would have it. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Luck would have it that five years earlier, demons were pretty ticked off after seeing how many souls they lost in hell to heaven due to another divine child being born. 
Jesus Christ. Oh, okay. So they were determined that they were going to do their own thing. Okay. And so they they, like their own... they convinced the devil to have a child on earth to oh, okay. try to like I guess antichrist, but they don't refer to him. They wanted just another divine child to count to kind of like move in on what Jesus was doing because they baby. lost souls. They lost souls. They wanted to gain some souls or make heaven lose some souls. All right, the PR guy on earth. <laughs> they they picked a woman. Of course, she's a beautiful young woman, and unfortunately for them, she was very devout in faith and she would go and confess everything to a priest named Blaze. All right, and Blaise. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so she was confessing to Blaze the devil's plan, and he decided that instead of killing her immediately for having sex with the devil. <laughs> He was going to be merciful, and he was going to lock her in a tower until the baby was born. Yeah. When he, he would wait outside, and the moment he heard the baby crying is when he would jump in there, baptize the baby. And <laughs> I thought he was going to He was going to baptize the baby, undoing the devil's, like, his, his plan. Okay. And so because the baby was born from the father being the devil but and the mother wash the floor with his blood anyways they named him merlin okay and he still retained some strange and magical power so this is how merlin became like became, the, merlin. became merlin all right he apparently was the son of the devil <laughs> go figure um he had it, things weren't so bad but he was such an, a magical kid that he, his mother was charged with witchcraft when merlin was five and he actually ended up like defending her and saving her from being executed again. But sure, she may bang the devil on occasion, yeah, but, but she's not a witch. She baptized her baby, and he can do magic now. So his Merlin's reputation soon spread throughout, and Vortigern was like, I want that kid over here in my court. So five-year-old Merlin, or he might have been older, doesn't really kind of go beyond that, but they said that Merlin ended up going there, and he told Vortigern that the reason why his walls kept falling each night was because there was two dragons, a red one and a, and a white one. It sounds like a five-year-old. Fighting underground, and it wasn't until they were able to find the dragons, and I don't know if they were to battle them or just cheer them on, but they had to find the dragons, let them battle, and then it should be resolved. The white dragon won disappeared after that the walls never crumbled in salisbury plain mm, salisbury in time plain. though vortigern became scared of merlin because he predicted that constantine's brothers were going to come back seeking vengeance and they were going to be successful and merlin was pretty pretty decent at predicting the future and his predictions often you know came true so he knew about dragons i mean yeah. he knew about dragons and where to find them all right and they didn't have to kill a little baby you know a child with a father not from this earth in order to get the walls to be built right so Oof. worked out so merlin's prediction came true and the brothers took back britain but soon after the brothers victory another war began and this time it was between the britons and the sextons Merlin helped Uther and Pendragon, but told them that although they'll win the war, one brother will not make it. Sure enough, Pendragon was killed, leading Uther to take his name and became Uther Pendragon. So I'm assuming that Uther was originally either the Uther Pendragon in the beginning, or one of them was the Ambrosius. Mm -hmm. So they just yeah. didn't go by the name. I wouldn't either if my last name was Ambrosius. I'd be like, eh, Pendragon. Cool. But why different last names? That's confusing. No idea. Merlin then was tasked with building a monument for the fallen brother. 
in his memory and thus erected the Stonehenge in one night. So apparently that's where uh, that's where it came from. Then Merlin built a castle with magic in Carlisle and formed the uh, Round Table. So while the king, so while King Pendragon sees, or while he's king, he sees a woman named Egraine. And Egraine is this woman he falls head over heels for her, but she's already married to the Duke of Cornwall named Galoris. Galoris finds out that the king wants his wife, or at least to have a couple yeah. nights with his wife, and he decides, no, we're, we're leaving. We're not hanging out here. We're going home. Pendragon, Uther saw this as a sign that he could declare war against Galoris. And he's <laughs> like, fine, you're going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to leave. I'm insulted. War. Okay? Jeez. Galoris hides his wife, a grain, inside of Tintagel Castle, and she is so overcome with sorrow that she's like, oh, so many men must die because of me. And I'm just like, wow, like, so full of yourself. Like, right. but she's like, should all this happen? Well, using some of Merlin's powers, Uther disguises himself as Glorious and makes his way into the castle and totally has his way with her. Jeez. And she, she's fine with it because she thinks it's her husband. Right? <laughs> wow. That's the night that... Arthur Pendragon, or as we know as King Arthur, is conceived. Strangely enough, Galoris is also killed that night too. And they don't know if Arthur was conceived before, during, or after, because the legends are a little murky in that level, all right? She must not have been that sad though, because shortly after she found out her husband was dead and that she was pregnant, she married Uther. And they had a great love, and they had another kid together. So she she moved on, and she I don't they don't know if she ever found out that he was in disguise as her husband the night that it, so she didn't I don't know if she knows that <laughs> Arthur wasn't actually he, like, her husband's child, and that it was you know yeah. so that's a little sketchy there. Really magically <clears throat> date raped her kind yeah, of yeah <laughs> yeah you know great guy great guy jeez but. Merlin himself was able to make many amazing magical things in his lifetime, such as a cup that would show if the drinker led a pure life. So if it touched the lips of someone who had an unclean life, it would overflow. Um, He put magic into Arthur's armor, and he made a mirror that could see whatever someone wished to see. So almost like in Harry Potter, but not exactly. Well, I mean, Harry Potter, uh, she took stuff from things. But despite all of his amazingness, Merlin had one flaw. Women. He loved the women. Loved them. Horn dog. One woman specifically was named Vivian, or as many know her, the Lady of the Lake. Uh-huh. Oh. He was so in love with her that he taught her all of his magic secrets. Now... All I can think of is the Monty Python. Like, <laughs> some bottomy tart throwing swords at you from the lake. Well, she did that before this all happened because Arthur's now grown and everything. But yeah, so he was so in love with her, he taught her all of his magic secrets. Now, this is where the story of Merlin splits into different versions after he meets Vivian. Because one says that he followed her into the forest of... um, It's in Brittany. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. (laughs) Where she enclosed him in a hawthorn tree for all eternity because she was just done with him. She got all of his information, all of his secrets. She didn't want this old man panting on her anymore. So she just just enclosed him in a tree. Another one says that she 
imprisoned him underground in a palace where only she has access and he is frozen in time so he's not aging he's still alive to this day still gathering information i don't know if he's got a good wi-fi like down there at this moment but he's just existing down there continuing to gain Uh, knowledge i think there's there's an aspect of that in one of the the uh, c.s lewis books where there's like there's a a three-part trilogy where there's part of an Arthurian legend and he's yeah. like yeah he's like hiding for a long time well so weird. and yeah. then the third one and this one is kind of sad that uh, he in his old age forgot and was kind of forgetful and he sat down in a seat at the round table that commemorated Judah's betrayal of Jesus and it was called the siege perilous and only the sinless can sit in there so when he sat down Arth- uh, Merlin had a few sins in him and the earth opened up and swallowed him and he ended up dying that way damn but that was that's the story of merlin the the little palace that sounds fun but she imprisoned either way like he either got screwed over by a girl or he was just an old forgetful man yeah i mean it's cooler than getting swallowed by a tree or the earth but the fact that he helped out in rape was totally fine on all this stuff. Okay, like five-year-old talking about drake i thought this was an intriguing story i never knew that merlin had such a Helping Arthur, like, bamboozle <laughs> that chick. That's a little dirty. But... It wasn't Arthur. It was his, it was his dad. Or, or, it was his dad. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. But that that's what I brought to the table. What do you got, sir? Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, so I'm going different part of the world. But, uh, wow, yeah, that's, that's an interesting <laughs> one. Okay. So we're going to talk about northern Japan, mm-hmm. um, particularly the, the island of Hokkaido. Um so we're going to talk about the Akoro Kamui. It's uh, the Japanese translation of um, the Ainu legend Akhtor Kamui. Kamui? Kamui? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I, I try to put my own pronunciations because eh, they say it. I'm, also, I don't have the... Sometimes there's a little like staccato in there. They, yeah, <laughs> they just yeah, say yeah, it yeah. And it's like, uh, I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm doing a bad accent if I try that. <laughs> So um, we'll circle back to who the Ainu are in a moment here, but we're going to start by quoting from yokai.com. So the, uh, yokai? I know that show. Wait, this is a show? There was a cartoon called Yokai Watch, and it talk- I actually liked it because it would talk about souls that had very sad lives and how they would like show up and they would do things. To like to people, and there was some really sad ones, like a cat that was trying to cross the street, and it was looking for its owner, but it had no memory. Like it had little glimpses of its memory. And then there was a grandpa guy who stood outside of a convenience store who was waiting for his granddaughter to come back. And like it's things where they like they didn't they remembered like fragments of their past life and their main desire of what they needed to do, but they couldn't remember specifically why they had that desire or what like what they were kind of searching for. They just knew that they had that desire. Interesting. Like ghosts thingy that's yeah. just confused in the afterlife. So I actually, I I was like, I, the name or the word yokai sounded familiar. So I, was, I had been looking it up a little bit. And it, it's a, a class of, uh, it translates to strange apparition. And they're a class okay. of supernatural entities in Japanese folklore that, I mean, there's a, a ton of them. Like, they inhabit different things. Sometimes people, sometimes, like, ghosts of people kind of things. Sometimes, like, a, um, a like a hearth or something will have mm-hmm. its, its yokai. Um, and actually, interestingly, I did not know that another word for yokai is mononoke, which okay. is Princess Mononoke. Oh, from yeah. the other moon, right? No, no, the, no, the Ghibli movie. 
the the American and the American dub Claire Danes does the voice. You can see no. that one. She's just, no. She's just like with the little forest spirit guys, and she's riding on the the wolves. Oh God, you gotta watch no, that. No, I haven't seen that. You have HBO Max, right? Yes. Yes. Watch it, Princess okay. Mononoke. All the Ghibli movies, you'd love them. Um, but I thought it was interesting. That's just a little side that, like, oh yeah, let me quick pull that up. There was a, a weird, weird thing that I did not know what a, a, a like. I want to look more into all these yokai things. There's some interesting. You should stories look in there. up the cartoon <coughs> on on YouTube. It's the only place you can find it because it kind of dropped in popularity. Even trying to find the games for like the Nintendo Switch, they're all averaging <clears throat> about fifty to sixty dollars because they don't well, make them anymore. <clears throat> and like, it's kind of like resurging a little bit in popularity. Yeah. Excuse me. Edit that clap out. All right. <laughs> so, uh, quoting from yokai.com, the uh, Akoro Kamui is a gigantic octopus god which rides in, resides in Hokkaido's Yuricha Bay, Yuricha, or Uchiria, Uchura, yeah, yeah. Uchura Ucha. Bay. Um, and when it extends its legs, its body stretches over one hectare in area. That's it's a lot of so area. big that it can swallow boats and whales in a single gulp. Its entire body is red. It's <laughs> so large that when it appears, the sea and even the sky reflect its color, turning a deep red. Ooh. And that's when like fishermen and sailors try to avoid the oh red, uh, run yeah. red sun. I don't know that sailors sailor stay away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they think that they're gonna get attacked, and actually, the ones who really have to go out they'll bring a scythe with them to attack just in case it's gonna attack but even though it's gonna eat your whole boat i don't know what you're gonna do like you're gonna scratch its throat (laughs) (laughs) so i was like how big is a hector i don't know so for size reference it's equivalent to about 2.47 acres so that's it's a big ass a couple blocks yeah yeah about a block ish so um hokkaido is japan's second largest island it's basically like the northern chunk there. Okay. Um, and joining it in the bay, actually, is the Atukakura. Uh, it's basically a giant sea cucumber monster. <laughs> they take things up there. Sometimes, butt. like, wiggles really fast and can take out <laughs> ships. Sometimes it'll, it likes to eat driftwood, apparently, and sometimes it just sees a boat and it thinks it's driftwood. It uh, its origin story is pretty fucking wild because. Um, or like the, the the myth goes that someone's moru, which is traditional ladies' undergarments, Ooh. washed out into the bay and settled, and then became this angry sea cucumber. Oh my god! <laughs> was it so, like a woman that passed in the ocean or something? Because that, that would I, make sense. That a no, part it was it like some underwear washed into the bay. So I'm gonna start throwing my underwear in the river and see <laughs> if I can breed some sort of giant monster. You know, they sometimes refer to the period, like a woman's period, as like a red tide. <laughs> <laughs> well, this one wasn't red. This guy's just a cucumber. It's the, the octopus that's god. red. It's still, oh my. Uh, so yeah, um, so we'll talk. Well, actually, let's skip ahead for a sec because I, I probably should have put this in front of this. So the uh, uh, the origin story for uh, the octopus god. So long ago, and this is again quoting from yokai.com. Long ago, in the mountains near the village of Ribunj, there lived a gigantic spider named Yalshikep, and he was enormous. Or she was enormous. Well, okay, never mind. See, I'm, I copied this directly. It says his. Other times I've seen it called her, 
And some of the a lot of the pictures this is have the 2000s, her as a, as a her. man. We can be that way. They them them. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, they were had a great red gigantic uh, body stretched over again one like one hectare in area. And one day, Yelshikep descended from the mountains and attacked the people in the of Ribunge. Uh, he shook the earth as he rampaged, destroying everything in his path. And the villagers were terrified. They prayed to the gods to save them. And the, the god of the sea, Ripun Kumoi, heard their prayers and pulled Yashikep into the bay. When the great <laughs> spider was taken into the water, he transformed into a giant octopus and took over charge of the bay as its god. Ever since then, he has been known as Aktor Kumai or Ak- Akoro Kumoi in Japanese. Um, that would make sense. I would think that an octopus is just a really soggy spider. Yeah. And <laughs> in some sense. of the things, it can apparently, like, it'll lose limbs and, like, mm-hmm. flinging it at people somehow. And <laughs> it just regenerates like an octopus can. But yeah, like a spider. It is kind of just a giant. Squishy, know, slimy actually, spider. No, octopus are, are actually, like, way cooler than that. But well, still. Yeah, yeah. Well, spiders can be pretty awesome. Yeah, I guess so. Not as cool as octopuses, though. True. Anyways, <laughs> so wow, let's, so let's definitive. circle back. I like octopuses. <laughs> God so. damn it. Uh, so, yeah. Let's circle back to the Ainu for a second. So the Ainu are actually pretty fascinating. They're a separate ethnic group than the Japanese. Um, and some even have, like, blue eyes. And they're like, the Japanese actually are kind of dicks to them at one point. Um, and even, though I guess, the Russians had some interference with them. Um, but pretty neat and their their religion is there's some similarities that people have have said to shintoism but it's it really is its own separate thing and in their religion um there's the kumais and it's like it's kind of like a god spirit that just inhabits like everything um like literally like the plant over there has Mm -hmm. has has some of that um okay interesting um and some parts of their lore have gotten integrated into shintoism as the the actor Kumai, for example, um, let's see where um, again, like she can swallow whole ships. And I see, I kept seeing he and she interchangeably. So who knows? It's Depends. a giant octopus god. You guys gotta pick, look for yeah. the lipstick and the eyelashes. It'll tell you if it's a girl or a boy, or sometimes a bow on their head. Mm-hmm. That's normally how cartoons do. Actually, there's some tattoos. I, I'll have to show you some pictures. Like, it's a very common, or like a, a, a common tattoo theme. And that is like one of the most like p- popular depictions is this like squid with a bow on her head. <laughs> it's pretty great. That's um, how you can tell if it's a girl or boy. So like, yeah, in Shintoism, there's like some legend of it, you know, swallowing ships whole and the, the red, red color. Because it's apparently been seen other places, even as far as Taiwan, there's some... Some talk about, although I couldn't find anything personally that said, and even seen in Taiwan. Um, <laughs> and there's uh, some like temples where people give offerings of like fish. Okay. Um, and Shinto belief offerings can help you with ailments such as like broken limbs or disfigurements. Okay. Uh, and in the late 19th century, there was a um, Anglican missionary named John Batchelor who. Actually, like normally, I I'm, I can be a little skeptical of of some of the missionary stuff, but he apparently, <laughs> especially had, the positions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez, 
That's just the pictures I've seen of this old guy. It's like, no, no, don't put that in my head. It's there now. Um, he had actually kind of advocated for the Ainu uh, early on and kind of saved their their culture from kind of getting pushed out by the Japanese. Okay. The Japanese were kind of like taking land and... Well, they have limited them. resources and they, on that island. Yeah. And they wanted to, like, once he had written a book about them, they're like, oh, well, now everyone's watching. We, we could exploit this in a different way. Hey, everyone, <laughs> look at this great thing. Um, <laughs> At least that was kind of what he said. This is, I was reading something that he had written about. If, if he hadn't stepped in, they, they would have been lost. But he had written oh, a book. Oh, that white savior. <laughs> oh, there was a little bit of that. Um, he had written a book in 1901 called The, the Ainu and Their Folklore. Um, and he in it he had he describes like his ship getting, he sees it. The sea turns oh, so red he's a first-hand witness. grabs his ship. Um, I'd found... Misquote or like something that was like quoted differently here and differently there, and so I, I didn't copy it down. But basically, to paraphrase it, mm -hmm. it like the sea turned red and it grabbed his ship and almost didn't let him go. Um, oh so he apparently saw it in the late 1800s. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. The ocean is a scary place. I've I've read so much about like um, cruise ships. It takes them five miles to stop. What? If you fall off a cruise ship, it takes them five miles to stop. That doesn't include turn around and come back. And then the odds of being found are so minimal. I think they said, like, just recently, the last latest statistic was, like, over 250 people have fallen off cruise ships. And only like four... Like a year? In, like, a year or whatever. But, like, 40 to 50 of them have been recovered. Oh, that's terrifying. Always, because you're looking for a tiny head bobbing in the water. That's it. I know, and those things are gigantic. Yeah, and so, and then the ocean is so dark. It's just vast darkness, and like you, uh, no. And also, if you fall off it, the 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 like current coming. You need off. to pray that you get taken under by the damn uh the yeah, the current the current, the current coming off the ship could easily just kill you it's better um, than sitting there floating hoping that something else doesn't decide to like poke to see if your food right. or exhaust yourself to the point where you a like giant sea cucumber comes up <laughs> and bites you oh that's terrifying i don't why don't they have like some kind of <clears throat> rescue boat thing that can i have no idea well they do put like separate guardrails they do tend to like put sometimes nets or like Something so that way you could like if you're gonna fall you're gonna fall onto something. I suppose. Well, I mean like like a boat that can be <laughs> dropped off of it really quick. To that would be you. nice, but I don't know why they haven't thought about that. They just basically said like, if, and if you fall off a cruise ship or a boat at night, you just <laughs> you are fucked. Oh, just, at night? Yeah, I guess no one even knows you're gone. That's terrifying. All right. Well, this is not a podcast <laughs> about the terrifying aspects of falling into the ocean. <laughs> These are terrifying creatures and wonderful, fantastic stories. Made out of underwear. <laughs> All right. I, well, thank you guys for listening to Mysteries, Inc. I'm Spring. I'm Joe. Have a See great day. <laughs> for any questions or comments, you can find us at Mysteries, Inc. on Instagram. Thank you.